Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. I'm going to read from chapter 1. I know it says verse 5, or from verse 1. I know it says verse 5 in the bulletin, but we'll put the whole thing in context since it's been a couple of weeks since we looked at Hebrews last Sunday. Andy Bagby was uh, gracious to fill in for me with about 24 hours' notice. So that was no small feat to, uh, to preach a sermon when you've only had 24 hours to prepare for it. And we do thank you, Andy, for your willingness to step in at the last minute. But uh, in God's providence, Andy preached on Ephesians 2, which reminds us that we are God's workmanship. God is an artist, if you will. And those who are united to him by faith are works of art. The word there is poema, which we get our word poem from. So God is doing something in the lives of his people. And that goes along with what we will be thinking about today. You see how the Lord works. He's, uh, he's trying to communicate something to us. Because I didn't tell Andy to preach on Ephesians 2. Uh, he did that of his own accord. But it fits perfectly with what we're going to be thinking about today. And that is that our Heavenly Father disciplines his children for holiness and the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And we're begging the question, how does our, how does our artist father mold us into what he would have us to be? And it is through the discipline of the trials of life. So let's stand together as we read God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the, found, the, uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no Root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, 
He was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Please be seated. Well, life is filled with problems. Uh, Everyone knows this, and uh, I want to always say this, but when, when you have a problem... You're, you always think, and, and everybody does it, and I'm, as a pastor I know this, everyone thinks that they're the only person that has your problem. And that's just not true. Everyone has problems. Life is filled with problems. Uh, every, this past year I've been doing a lot more counseling than I've ever done in 20-some-odd years of being a pastor. And part of that is a result of the pandemic, and part of it is a result of being here nine years. Uh, people start to trust you after a while, maybe. But uh, I can assure you that uh, the problems that we have, I mean, when I talk to somebody and some of the guys and women, men and women that I've been talking to, uh, I'll tell them that they're not alone in that problem that they're having, and they find it hard to believe. And I said, no. I mean, I just talked to somebody yesterday who had the same problem. It's common. And the number one problem that I think pastors deal with, probably across the board, is relationship problems. Relationship problems are, are the most prevalent problems that uh, we have to do counseling for, um, people who are uh, in broken relationships, whether it be a husband and wife relationship that's, that's difficult or a family relationship, some other type. Um, these things we all have uh, to some degree. Or there's the problem of no relationship when you want to have a relationship. You know, we have a lot of single people in the church, either through uh, just being single all your life or through being widowed. And that uh, leads to loneliness. And a lot of people are struggling with that, especially when you add a pandemic, when we've been quarantined and we're not able to get out and and be amongst uh, friends and family as we have been in the past. So relationship problems are difficult to endure. And then, of course, there's health problems. We're all getting older. You ever think about that? You know, every moment you're getting older. (laughs) From the day you were born, you're pressing forward to the day when you will die and just getting ever closer, and it's not moving further in the distance. It's just drawing ever closer. I don't mean to depress you through that, but it's the reality. And some of us, as we're getting older, we're seeing that we have health problems. A number of you are struggling with cancer, for example, and others through, you know, we've got a lot of bad knees and bad shoulders in this congregation. You know, it's just a part of the aging process. We, we're subject to decay, as the Bible tells us. And then, of course, there's financial problems. The pandemic, is, of course, has, has contributed to that. Loss of job, loss of homes. And then you pile on all that, the cultural problems that we're going through at the time, all the political division in our land. And then the misinformation that we're getting and it's we see the uh, our, our nation and in the state that it's in and it's causing us angst and stress just to 
watch the news. I've quit watching the news because it's just too much. can't deal with all that, that uh, animosity and division that you hear about over and over and over again. And then you've got immorality and increasing pluralism in, in our world where people don't hold to Christian values anymore. So uh, we have all these problems. And, and many of you are at the point in your life where you're going, you know, my life has not turned out like I thought it would or should turn out. And that's difficult. And there's a lot of stress in our world today. And suicide is on, uh, on the upswing dramatically over the past 20 to 30 years. So we've got this, this uh, problem-filled life that touches all of us. And it's hard to cope with the increasing stress that we're under in our day. How do we endure? How do we face these problems? How do we make it through? More and more people are just giving up and giving in. How do we usually deal with it? Well, he gives us a couple of examples here in this, this, this passage. If you look at verse 14, he says, Strive for peace with everyone. That's one of the first things he says as, a, as far as an exhortation. He's telling them to endure but he specifically has a few instructions here in the latter verses that I read to you. Strive for peace with everyone. Because what happens when you have a problem, uh, a crisis in your life, uh, just the overwhelming stress of life, you tend to pull back or blame others or take it out on other people, maybe even the people who are closest to you. So he he's knows this, and he's warning them, look, you've... You should strive for peace with everyone because when we're under stress and having a crisis in our life or trouble or whatever the case might be, it causes division and difficulty in relationships. And that's why I see more counseling for relationship problems. And he also says, uh, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So holiness, how, do, how does one be holy set apart, uh, a cut above, pure, that's what all holiness means. How does one navigate through all the problems of life and yet maintain holiness without which no one will, will see the Lord? And then in verse 15, he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now, this is a, a reference to Deuteronomy 29. In Deuteronomy 29, uh, Moses is writing to that second generation that's on the Exodus, and they're about to enter the Promised Land, and he's renewing the covenant with them, their, their relationship with the Lord. And he says this warning, Beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. 
the Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Now that's about as stern a warning as you can get. And the problem he sees is that when someone decides, you know what, I don't feel like uh, enduring anymore. Uh, I'm going to give in to the world. I'm going to give in to my sin. I'm going to give in and not fight the fight anymore. Well, it's a bad testimony to those around you, and it's, a, and it's an influence of those around you. And they see you giving up, and it discourages others. And that's what he calls this root of bitterness that can spread amongst people. So see, that's one thing that we do. When someone gives up, we discourage those around us. And then he gives us the example of Esau. And this is another way that we tend to behave when we're going through the difficulties of life. He says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. You remember the story of Esau and Jacob. Uh, uh, Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright because Esau came in from the field starving to death and uh, Jacob was cooking and had some nice stew there. And so he swapped his birthright, his inheritance, his claim of being the firstborn son and being the one to receive the inheritance and the blessing. He traded that for a pot of stew or a bowl of stew even. So he, he gave away something that was invaluable, Jacob's blessing, which, I mean, uh, Isaac's blessing, which Jacob got instead, for a meal, one meal. And that's what we do, isn't it? When we, when we get under stress, we want to give in to sensuality. Now he says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like, is, like Esau. Esau just wanted some comfort food at that moment. And he was willing to throw everything away for that. How many people, when they're under stress, will throw away what's good just for a moment of pleasure in the midst of the trial, the difficulty? You know, that sexual immorality comes because, you know, a, a, a couple has an argument and they're, they're fighting and then uh, the husband runs to the arms of someone who is not his wife just for comfort. And he's thrown away this valuable relationship for one night of pleasure. It could be anything in that case. We tend to want to feel good when we're going through a crisis, when we're having trouble. And we might go to uh, alcohol or drugs or pornography or just binge watching our favorite show and wasting time and being lazy. Anything that gives us some sense of comfort instead of turning to the Lord, of course. But we don't want to be like Esau who threw everything away just for a single meal. And he couldn't pull it back in. You know, the, he opened Pandora's box because once the blessing had been given to Isaac, he could not get it back. That's what he means there at the end. He was rejected. He found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. He, he wanted the blessing, but he had already thrown it away just for one meal. And it was too late. And that's what we tend to do. We tend to want some comfort and peace in the moment without seeing the longer view. So these are, these are some problems that we face and in, the, in life with all the difficulties that come to us in life. 
and our tendency to deal with it very poorly. We've got a problem as human beings. But what has the writer of Hebrews been doing in this book? The whole book is all about Jesus. And he time and time again tells us to look at Jesus, consider Jesus, think about Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Over and over again, he says. And we want to do that today. Because Jesus was the perfect man. Jesus faced great suffering. In fact, his life was marked by suffering. He was born and immediately someone was trying to kill him. Herod, namely. And he had to run. Well, of course, Joseph and Mary had to run to Egypt and be in exile for a while. And then once he started his public ministry, his enemies became more and more ramped up with animosity towards him until they finally put him to death on the cross. So Jesus had trouble in his life. But it tells us there in verse 3, he endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And verse 2, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, Hebrews chapter 5 tells us this. In the days of his flesh, this is verse 7, 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus offered up prayers in the midst of his troubles and trials. And he was heard because of his reverence. He had a scrupulous regard for what is right. That's what the word reverence means. He was the perfect man. And it tells us there in verse 8, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That doesn't mean that he was disobedient and then had to learn how to be obedient. He was perfect in every way and he always obeyed his father. But what it means is that as he progressed through his life, every time he was faced with a situation where he needed to be obedient, he was. And so he experienced obedience through doing it time and time again up until the end of his life. He always was obedient and he learned obedience. You can't know how to, you know, you can't say you know how to do something unless you actually do it, you know. Uh, I can say all day long that I can uh, repair the engine uh, on a car, uh, but Unless I've actually done it, I don't know that I've actually learned it because there's, it's complicated, right? So Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. As he went through his life and suffered, he was always obedient, and he, he knew by experience what it was like to be perfect. Verse 9, in being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It wasn't that he was imperfect and became perfect, it was that he was always perfect and just became completely perfect because all the way through his life, up to the very end of his life, he was always perfect. And so the, the life of perfection was complete. It's kind of like this, if this glass 
is filled with pure water. You know, it's not completely full of pure water, but it's perfect. Perfect pure water. But it will be perfect and complete if it were filled up to the very top. A fullness of perfection. And that's what it's talking about here. Jesus lived an entire life of perfection. And it was through uh, all that he suffered in his life that he achieved this. And he did it as apostle and high priest. Verse, uh, chapter 3 tells us. He was sent from God to do this and as, as an apostle, that's what an apostle is, a sent one, and as a high priest, the priest represents God to the people. So he came as God's representative to humanity and he took on humanity so he could represent us before the Father, before God. He is the mediator between God and man. He came as a substitute. So all this perfection that he learned and, and accomplished in his life was on behalf of his people. He was the substitute. So see, this is important for us who are going through all the problems of life. How do we endure? We have to look to our substitute, the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus. He's done it in our place. And so the writer here in verse 5 and following tells us, he's quoting Proverbs chapter 3 here, that what God is actually doing in our lives through the trials and difficulties that we have is he's treating us like a son. And how can he do that? He can only do that if we have put our trust in the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If we are united to him by faith, then everything that he accomplished in his life is credited to us. So when God looks at us, if we are in Christ, we're perfect. But it's not in practice, right? I mean, we're not perfect. We fall short in a lot of ways. But before God, our account is perfection. But he is working that out in our lives. It's all about making us holy. You know, we have been declared holy in his sight if we put our faith in Jesus. But he's working it out in us and it will be complete when we die or when the Lord returns again. So when we go through difficulties in life, the problems that we face, if we are a believer, we can have a, the assurance that whatever we're going through, God is using for our good. He's, he's helping us to be trained in holiness. See, like Jesus was. We are sons of God, and that's because we are united to the Son. It's not sexist to just say son and not daughter, but he's using that language because we are getting what Jesus got. We are united to him by faith, therefore God is working out his purposes. Just like Jesus came, and all that he suffered was for God's purpose. He came to fulfill a mission that the Father had sent him on. And so he went through all that and was made perfect because he did everything perfectly. And the Lord is working that out in our lives as well. We can be assured that whatever comes our way, we can know that God is going to use that so that we might be holy and yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
He sees you as his son and daughter. But particularly like a son, he's training you up for something, for some holiness, some work, some part in the body of Christ. So think about the problems of life. You know, the Lord is disciplining us, and he is helping us to be more like Christ in our lives. He disciplines us because he loves us. It shows that we are his children when he disciplines us. And discipline is not just chastisement or punishment, but it's education. You know, how do we discipline a child? Well, you have to teach the child positively, positively what, he's, what he or she is supposed to do. And then, of course, there is punishment. There is chastisement when, when there's a, a, a disobedience. So the Lord is doing that in our lives for our own good. He's got a plan for our lives and his plan is never second best. He wants what's best for you. So whatever you're going through in your life, if you're a believer, you can say, you know what, this is not comfortable, and I'm crying out to the Lord just like Jesus did in my distress, but what is the Lord doing? How is he making me more holy through this? What is he doing to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in my life through this? What's his purposes in doing this? We can always ask that question, and we can always be assured that the answer is that that's what he's doing. He's Somehow he's making us more holy and more righteous through it. It's like an athlete, and he's using that athletic imagery. You know, it's August, right? So everybody's starting football practice this week. Um, I, I did it when I was in high school, and I hated it. Uh, I was skinny and small. I was a late bloomer. I, I grew like two inches in college, so I wasn't this tall in high school. And I was really thin, and I got run over. Uh, and, but, you know, I just wanted to be out there and wear the jersey, I guess. Uh, but it was miserable. Two-a-days in August in South Alabama. Uh, not fun. But you got in shape. You learned and you grew. It was discipline. And, uh, of course, my team stunk. You know, we were three years of football, two wins, 27 losses. <laughs> Learned humility as well. But what a great experience it was. I can look back on that and, and know that I learned something. I grew and became... Uh, much more resilient in certain things. It's the same way in life. When you are faced with a trial and you move through it, trusting in the Lord, it trains you for the next time and the next time and the next time because the problems will always keep on coming. It's a broken world in which we live. We're all sinners and we live in a world full of sinners. And there's always going to be problems. But we must endure, if we're believers, so that we can be built up in holiness. The Lord is disciplining us for our good. He's doing something great in our lives. So when we're faced with those questions about, you know, 
why are we going through these relationship problems? Why are we having to endure a pandemic? Why uh, can't I find a spouse? Why am I lonely? Why have I been left all alone in this world? Why am I having these health problems? If you're a believer, you can say, you know what? The Lord is using this to build me up in holiness, to help me, to be more righteous, more the person that he wants me to be. And that's an encouragement. But if you don't know the Lord today, you don't have that assurance. It's kind of like when Katrina hit, and I think it was Pat Robertson that said it was judgment upon you know the, the Gulf Coast, particularly New Orleans, because of all the sin that goes on over there in New Orleans. But, you know, millions of people were affected by that, and as the Bible says, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. God has multiple layers of purposes in what he allows. But it's always good questions to ask. What is God's purpose? Maybe it is judgment. Maybe it is something else, like he's building me up in holiness. He's helping me learn to endure through trials. All of these things can be true, and it might be one might be true for one person and one might be true for another person. So God has got his purpose and his plan for you, but you can be assured if you're a believer that it's good. All things work to the good for them who love God and are called according to his purpose. But if you're not a believer today, if you haven't put your trust in the Lord, you don't have any assurance of that. You're at the whim of a broken, sinful world and only have your coping mechanisms to get you through. So I encourage you today to turn to the Lord and have that assurance that what he's doing is making you holy. Now many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire. Eric Little uh, was a strong Christian. He was raised by missionary parents in China. And he was also the fastest man in Scotland. And he uh, went to the 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris, found out that the heats for the 100 meters, which was his specialty, were on a Sunday, and he wasn't willing to break the Sabbath and run a race on a Sunday. So instead, he competed in the 400 meters, which he won the gold medal in. Now, instead of continuing to train and have a career in, in athletics, track and field, He returned to China in 1925 and served as a missionary teacher. And uh, aside from two furloughs in Scotland, he remained in China until his death in a Japanese civilian internment camp in 1945. And he wrote this, It has been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic Games and to bring home a gold medal, but since I have been a young lad, I've had my eyes on a different prize. You see, each one of us is in a greater race than any I have run in Paris, and this race ends when God gives out the medals. Now, interestingly enough, he wrote one book, and it was called The Disciplines of the Christian Life. He knew something of discipline in his life. And, of course, his great quote, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When we run with endurance, the race that is set before us, we are sure to feel the Lord's pleasure as well. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your great fatherly love to your people. 
Oh Lord, we thank you that Jesus endured. He, he despised the shame of the cross. He knew that he was going to be mistreated and suffer and be falsely accused and be hated and, and despised, yet he didn't care about that. He, it was for the joy that was set before him, the joy of saving a people for yourself. And Lord, we pray that we would remember that. Consider it, remember it, and embrace it. That we might keep our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That we might run with endurance the race that is set before us. And Lord, if there are any here who have never embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior, we pray, Lord, that they would turn from sin, repent, give their lives to you, and that they might run with endurance the race that is set before them as well. We pray you would build your church, and we thank you that you promised to do it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Jesus' name, amen.